out that we're going to be using that as a tool tonight in that um, the option was to print out 50, 60 song sheets. And uh, the what happens to the song sheets is they people think, oh, that's neat, I'll take it home. And then you put it underneath last week's newspapers and it gets cycled through. And so we thought, you know, practice some environmental sensitivity and use an electronic paper, electronic song sheet. So what that might mean is folks who are here might want to shift a little bit. I don't know if that's possible. We could mm, angle the screen, but then everybody has to do this. So, so we thought just kind of make do. What I thought I would do tonight, we are <coughs> blessed in the Bay Area, particularly in the East Bay, with uh, genuine Buddhist culture as it's, it's arising. Not only are there something like, I was over at the title office today looking at a book on Berkeley, and there are 17 Buddhist monasteries in this area. I, I thought, wait a minute, I know six. Where did the other, you know? <laughs> I mean, the Chinese say, Yuho, chun sun, the spring mushrooms after the rain, you know, but it's pop, 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 you know, like that. So by golly, we're just rich. And so amidst all that flowering of practice and all of the hours and hours we spend on our zafus, there's also Buddhist culture arising and uh, manifesting in art, in song, in uh, social networking, in Buddhist chaplains, in Buddhist caregiving, Buddhist psychology. That if you turn to the pages of Tricycle or Shambhala Sun, there are Buddhist investment counselors. So, by golly, you know. That's what made this country great. Right. Why not? You know, I mean, Bernard Madoff could, could have used one, by golly. <laughs> so, uh, among that, we have a huge flourishing of Buddhist music, which is, um, and I'm, you could say I'm tuned in, to Buddhist music worldwide and nationwide, and there aren't many other places that boast Eve Decker, uh, Kevin Griffin, Alan Sanaki, and music that woke the world, right? Um, we have done the above mentioned, including Betsy Rose, by golly, how could I leave Betsy out? Uh, Jennifer Berezan, you know, all of whom are right here within a, a Tiger Woods Drive of where we're standing, you know. So, um, was that too topical? I guess I <laughs> put a cork in it. I know, I know. Calm down. So, um, that's amazing, I think, and uh, meant to be celebrated. So, we have had two nights called Music in the Dharma, Dharma in the Music. First was at Gil Fronstall's down in Redwood City. The second one was right here, and we were threatening to do a third one soon. So, uh, my name is Hung Shur. And as mentioned, I'm the director, not the abbot, of the monastery here, and there's a difference. Um, and I was a folky back when. Uh, that was 34 years ago before I became a monk. And I didn't touch a guitar for 25 years, because in the precepts it says monks don't. Uh, 
However, Master Shrenhua, the founder and my teacher in religion, said that it's important that you don't try to imitate my old-fashioned Chinese methods. They might be suited for Chinese speakers and Chinese culture. They are not necessarily suited for contemporary Westerners. So use whatever talents and, and uh, tools you have to bring the Buddha Dharma to life. So that was kind of my impetus. And as I've confessed before, it was one night, James Barris's 50th birthday, as he sat here on the stage celebrating with you all his 50th birthday, he pulled out his old battered Gibson guitar and fired up, mm, teach your children well, Crosby, Stills, and Nash anthem. And all of you fractious Berkeleyites sang along in perfect tune. It was amazing, right? It's kind of like the Irish, three Irishmen, four opinions. You know, in Berkeley it's the same, and yet there was total harmony that night because we were all singing along. And I thought, boy, that is a powerful expedient means. As Upaya goes, that's a good one for our time. So I was encouraged to pick up uh, my guitar again. And uh, lo and behold, uh, songs started flowing. So um, I thought tonight, instead of giving a strict Dharma talk per se, I would do it musically. And uh, those of you who have heard me talk to your Thursday night group before won't be strangers to that. But tonight I thought to organize it a little bit uh, in, in a different context. And you have had the benefit of Eve here while James is on retreat. Is James on retreat? Is that? Yeah. Book tour. And Jennifer has been here. And uh, Alan has been here. So, and Betsy. So um, this, is, this is something that I would like to share with all of you. And start out with um, this one. It's called Wish to Repay. And the notion is that um, when I went researching, when you ask the question, what do people do after they wake up? Let's use that buzzword, enlightenment. How many of you watched the PBS show last night on Buddhism? What do you think, yes? Good? Good critique, yeah? I, I didn't see it, but it's online, I discovered. So I will watch. Good, OK. That's great. It's at, go to pbs.org, and there it is. It's featured on, the, on, and it's two hours long, is that right? And it's in little segments, but I think they string it together. So it's very nicely done. And uh, I've, I've heard nothing but good comments. So. Anyway, if you go looking for people who, the stories, the biographies of people who did indeed, um, in, in the Mahayana tradition, the Chan tradition that this monastery represents, um, we don't say enlightenment that much. There is one. There's Jie Wu. You, you wake up, literally from bud, the root to awaken, bodhi, bodhisattva, buddha, all from the same root. More they say you realize fruition, or you awaken to the Tao. The Tao is a very mm, freight-carrying, letter-carrying letter word. It carries the mail. That word is the Tao. And when someone awakens, they awaken to the Tao, and how the Tao being kind of the way things are before thought and word. Kind of uh, the uh, operative engine bringing uh, both 
the world of awakening and the world of duality, the world of consciousness, the world of wisdom and compassion to life. When it manifests in human form, the Tao has, has merged with the human nature. So looking into people who realize the Tao, I was surprised what I found. What I found was that by and large, with few exceptions, the first thing that people do when they wake up is they look for their benefactors to say thank you. Interesting. Gratitude, we heard that word tonight, is the first thing that people think of in many, many, many cases, starting with the Buddha's own disciple, Mahamadgayayana. In the Pali tradition, he's known as Mogalan, right? What he did, he woke up, he was the, the Buddha's disciple foremost in psychic powers. And he woke up and looked for mom. And it wasn't a happy story, sadly. Mom was suffering. She was in the hells as a hungry ghost, and that's another story. That's the story that gave rise to what's called Ulambana. Uh, in Japan, it's called Obon, the Obon Matsuri, celebrated all over Asia. Madgayayana repays the kindness of his mother, and he does so. From then on, case by case, people, when they wake up, have a wish to repay kindness. So that's the source of this song. And uh, there's a, this is the chorus, and I want you to sing along. If you would please. Let's see how we're going to do. When you're your own roadie, it's always a kind of a. <laughs> Cross your fingers. There we go. Okay, here's the chorus. It goes. Thank you to the universe. Thank you to the earth and sky. I may not repay my parents' kindness, but every day I try. That's how it goes. You want to try it? Thank you to the universe. Thank you to the earth and sky. Whose iPhone? My iPhone. <laughs> what can I say? That old Wi-Fi doing it. Thank you to the universe. Thank you to the earth and sky. I may not repay my parents' kindness, but Every day I try. Okay, later on we're going to say, I may not repay my teacher's kindness. Then we're going to say, I may not repay the planet's kindness. All right, so here we go. People ask me, what did you get from your meditation? Are you enlightened? Have you ended your frustration? The wise men and women who woke up. All those I reviewed say the highest state is a wish to repay a heart of 
gratitude. Here comes your part. Thank you to the universe. Thank you to the earth and sky. I may not repay my parents' kindness, but every day I try. How many years did I waste waiting for my prize, for my ship to finally come in, for my good news to arrive? Publisher's Clearinghouse. Are any of you waiting for an iPad? <laughs> Though, but freedom comes not from getting, but from giving it all away. Wise men, when they see the Tao, feel a wish to repay. Here we go. Thank you to the universe. Thank you to the earth and sky. I may not repay my parents' kindness, but every day I try. Let's do it with teachers. Thank you to the universe. Thank you to the earth and sky. I may not repay my teachers' kindness, but Every day I try. Let's, how about planets? Thank you to the universe. Thank you to the earth and sky. I may not repay the planet's kindness, but every day when I eat lunch, I ought to think about it. <laughs> Here we go. Thank you to the universe. Thank you to the earth and sky. Parents, I may not repay my parents' kindness, but every day I try. True story about what people do when they wake up. Funny, huh? So, we who are not yet awake, why wait? Start feeling that gratitude now and saying thank you. Certainly can't wait, as they say. All right. Now, um, how about another story? What's next? Okay. Um, there's when you start poking around. In, uh, in stories of the Buddha's life, there's so many um, threads to tug that pull back an amazing fabric. And one is the Buddha as social reformer. I, I haven't seen the PBS documentary, so we'll see what, uh, maybe that's already covered, you know, possibly. But um, in India, the caste system is rigidly set, and it has been forever. Um, four castes, Brahmins, who are largely um, priests and functionaries, they're 
they are born, you, Brahman is a caste. You, you, born into the Brahman caste, you stay one. And you, the boundaries are not flexible. There's nothing like upwardly mobile in Indian caste system. Uh, it's not through merit, it's through birth. So hereditary. There are kshatriyas, is the next one down. And kshatriyas are the ruling caste and also the warriors. The Buddha himself, being a prince, Siddhartha, was a kshatriya. And again, it's you don't fight your way into the kshatriya league. You, you are born that way and you stay that way. And people know the difference. There are the vaishyas, who are the merchants. And merchants are, their job description is different. Their horizon, you could say, is different. But it's not mobile. You don't go up and down. You stay in that caste, by and large. And I'm giving you, you know, I, I am ignorant of the real subtleties, but I don't think I'm too far off. Then there are the kshudras, or the, um, the untouchables. And the untouchables caste are so... Uh, far down from the other three that traditionally, depending on where you were, if you are an untouchable, a kshudra, and your shadow should fall on a brahman or a kshatriya, they can't wash it off. It's forever a stain. And so the untouchables walk with a bell when they're in the neighborhoods of the others so that people will hear the bell and know to to across the street to avoid having their shadow touch you. So the, the plight of the untouchables is, is quite uh, to, you know, to our uh, merit, meritocracy in the US is, is quite, uh, or in, in the West, uh, one, one person, one vote, it's kind of inconceivable. So um, for people who are interested in looking into it, Dr. Ambedkar, who uh, created the um, the Dalit form of Buddhism, which is Alan Sanaki just came back from spending two or three weeks with the new Untouchables Buddhists movement. That's another story. So look up Ambedkar, A-M-B-E-D-K-A-R. Quite a wonderful social reformer. Back to the Buddha. The Buddha, in the midst of a rigid social structure, completely abolished those lines when he ordained men and women into the Buddhist Sangha. So in the Buddhist Sangha, in fact, caste was invisible. It was a non-issue. If you were born untouchable and you cultivated the Dharma, if you were sincere, if you were vigorous, you had the option to become completely awake. And you were second to none. In fact, Brahmins, born Brahmins who didn't have your uh, realization, had to bow to you. They had to get behind you in line. Completely unheard of. Revolutionary, to say the least. Socially, just uh, the most innovative thing that ever happened to Indian social structure. So, just to say, that's one of those threads you tug and you discover, my goodness. So, Sunita, an untouchable, becomes a Brahman supreme. Let's take a look. This is a true story from literature called the Theragata. Um, Theragata are the songs of the first Buddhist monks. And there's also something called the Terigata, which is the songs of the first Buddhist women. This is among the very first 
poetry in history still recorded with a continuous lineage. It's found in the Pali Canon, the Terragata and the Terigata, uh, incredible literature. So here we go. I want to show you how it, show you the, uh, here's the original that I found. I don't know whose translation this was, but this is direct from the Pali. I adapted it so it would be more singable. In a lowly family, I was born poor with next to no food. Autobiographical verse by Sunita himself. My work was degrading. I gathered the spoiled, the withered flowers from shrines and threw them away. People found me disgusting, despised me, disparaged me. Lowering my heart, I showed reverence to many. Now, this means he bowed. Sunita had a practice of bowing. He made prostrations, ritual prostrations, as his particular dharma method. So regardless of whether he was honored or disparaged, he bowed. That was Sunita's practice. One day, he saw the self-awakened, the Buddha, coming into the city, arrayed with a squadron of monks. The Buddha was walking with alm, for alms at the head of the line of, sometimes they say, 1,250 monks going out for alms. So here is the, the great hero entering the city, supreme of the Magadans, because the Buddha was born in Magadha. Throwing down my carrying pole, Sunita probably had a pole with buckets, I suspect. You know, that was his, his job. He threw down his carrying pole and did something unheard of. I approached him to do reverence. Now, the Buddha at this point could have trampled on him, could have ignored him, could have crossed the street to avoid having the, the untouchable shadow touch him. What did he do? He, the supreme man, stood still out of sympathy just for me and received the bows. So honored this invisible, traif, taboo creature called an untouchable. He honored him by receiving his obeisance, just as if he would from the king. After paying homage to the feet of the teacher, I stood to one side and I requested going forth from him. Sunita plucked up his courage and said, I want to become a monk. Okay, basically impossible. The compassionate teacher, sympathetic to all the world, said, Ehi bhikkhu, he said, come monk. That was my formal acceptance. He ordained him on the spot and took him into the order. And that was Sunita's beginning as a Sangha member, right then and there. So, a uh, change of scene. If this was a uh, James Cameron film, we would now be in the planet, what? Eudora? No. Theodora. Pandora. Pandora. Eudora's an email program. So here we are. He, Lo and I stayed in the woods, untiring. We've now switched. Here is Sunita out in a cave, perhaps, in the forest, wearing his robe. Untiring, I followed the teacher's words. He's practicing the Dharma. He is doing his Vipassana meditation, counting his breath tirelessly, watching rising, falling, rising, falling, just as he, the conqueror, had taught me. In the first watch of the night, I recollected previous lives, meaning the psychic powers started to manifest from his own nature. Sunita was waking up. In the middle watch, I purified the divine eye. He got the psychic power of psychic vision. So this is a standard throughout the Buddhist tradition. In the last, I burst the mass of darkness, which is code talk for woke up. Right? They talk about the, the reason why we using our conscious mind are not the same as the Buddha, even though our potential is the same, 
is this mass of darkness called avidya, ignorance, that covers over our nature. Once that is transformed, the Buddha nature in us manifests exactly as it does in the Buddha, regardless of male, female, ancient, modern, untouchable Brahman, or even, bless their soul, Democrats. Tea Party Democrats even have the Buddha nature. So he, woke, he wakes up. Sunita realizes the Tao. Then, as the night was ending and the sun returning, so what a night he had meditating, right? As the night was ending, Indra and Brahma come to pay homage to me, hands palm to palm at their hearts. Who are Indra and Brahma? The chief among gods. So the devas come down to pay homage to this new arhat, the newly awakened former untouchable whose name is Sunita. What do they say to him? They say, homage to you, thoroughbred of men, human. Homage to you, human supreme, whose afflictions are ended. You, dear sir, are worthy of offerings. Supreme irony, right? The former untouchable is getting praised as a thoroughbred of humans by the chief among gods. Seeing me arrayed with a squadron of devas, the teacher, the Buddha, smiled and said, through austerity, celibacy, restraint, and self-control, that's how one is a Brahman. He is a Brahman supreme. Okay, so not by birth, not hereditarily, by, by merit, by his hard work in the Dharma, cultivating the way. So how lovely. This is a, called a Teragata. It's a story of, it's an enlightenment story. Someone's awakening step by step from, you know, refuse carrier to, to Arhat in, in one poem. So I really, really like that a lot. And uh, it satisfies my bone deep democratic nature, you know. So here's the, uh, here's what I did with it to turn it into uh, something singable. And um, I can't both play my guitar and operate my Macintosh at the same time. Is anybody familiar with Macs who wants to slide it down while we go? Any, any heavy four-finger types? Or okay. So it's, it's a pad. Here you go. I'll, I'll give you a There we go. All right. So you just, just slide it down. Cursor in there, and there you go. Uh, you, if you're there, you have to make a click. But if you just put it into the, oh, yeah, yeah and then boom, there you go. Can we can make it bigger still, <coughs> as long as we have a, a an operator, we can make it really big. How about that? There we go. So why don't you, what you do? Let's, let's like you hold it down if you put it put it here, you got it. Right, right. Okay. Here's the guitar. So this is uh, Sunita transplanted to West Virginia.
Just talking to you, that pay no attention. No, no. <laughs> All right. I need to memorize this. Well, I was born poor in a lowly family. Father disappeared, there was little to eat. My work was degrading, I gathered withered flowers from the shrine, sold what I could, and threw the rest away. Well, people found me disgusting, and they despised me. They just ignored me, or they looked away. The pain of rejection hurt as much as the hunger, but I lowered my heart and I bowed every day. But I saw the great hero entering the city Greatly awakened one with his monks in line. The most supreme of the Magadans, walking like a lotus, pure and refined. Well, I lost all fear. I set down my pole and baskets. I drew near, and I wanted to bow. And then he, the conqueror of Mara, stopped the line. He stood still, out of kindness, just for me. After showing reverence at the feet of the teacher, I stood to one side and I, I said these words. Oh, great sage, supreme among all beings, may I take refuge and leave home with you. The compassionate teacher raised one hand in a blessing with the sound of kindness. For all the world, he said, come, monk, that was my ordination. I crossed over and my new life began. Out here in the mountains, I never tire as I cultivate the way. Following my teacher's words just as he taught me. With one mind by night and by day. 
As the sun went down, I entered Samadhi. I saw my past lives and I got my heavenly eye. Just before dawn, I broke through the mass of darkness. To the state of the deathless, I did certify. Oh, the night was ending and the sun was returning. Indra and Brahma paid their respects to me. With the palms together, shining light, the way gods do with eloquence, they said these words to me. Well, homage to you, O thoroughbred of humans. Homage to you, human supreme. Your afflictions have ended, all your suffering is over. You, dear sir, are worthy of offerings. Upon seeing me, venerated by the devas, the teacher smiled and he proclaimed, through austerity, celibacy, restraint, and self-control, one becomes a Brahman. He is a Brahman supreme. Now, tell me, how many songs have you heard that include the line, Austerity, celibacy, restraint, and self-control. <laughs> One. Right. Can you imagine Led Zeppelin? <laughs> no, I can't. There you go. All right. Okay, now, um, I'm always looking for these... Uh, moments that could be sung in uh, 2,500 years of Buddhist history. And there's lots and lots of them, by golly. And one of them has to do with uh, my grand teacher, the um, spiritual um, teacher of Master Xuanhua our founder. His name is Empty Cloud, and his picture's on the back in the altar. Empty Cloud, as some of you know, his name in Chinese is Xu Yun, Xu Yun Lao He lived to be 120 years old. And uh, that, as a vegetarian, mind you, hmm, <laughs> look into that. Um, he, uh, I was just in China in October to celebrate the 50th anniversary of his entering Nirvana. Um, he was the most influential monk in the last 200 years in China, for sure. Um, and he has a remarkable biography. It spans, you know, two centuries. Actually, three, because he, uh, if, if you add up the math. He was age 56 uh, and woke up. 
and his enlightenment, his awakening, um, has been the subject of, of conversation and inspiration for, for a long time. This is, he uh, entered Nirvana in 1959. So. so I wanted to share with you the uh, story of Master Shuyin's awakening. And here's how it goes. Uh, we need to, can't waste time. There's a lot to do here. So let's see, try this now. He was 56 years old. He was living on Nine Flowers Mountain, Jiuhashan, which is in Anhui province, kind of central uh, China. He was there with a few hermits and Dharma friends, and they heard that Yangzhou Gaominsu was going to do a Chan retreat, uh, which was 10, 10 weeks long, uh, 12 weeks long. And this was a chance to really do it. You know, it's a life and death Chan, birth and death Chan, they call it. And so he uh, wanted to realize the Buddha nature within, and all his hermit buddies said, You go and save a spot for us. You know, reserve a, a, sp a seat because we're coming after you. You go first. So he was going, he went down the mountain and he's walking a long way to Yangzhou, which is not too far from Shanghai. And uh, he got to Reed Harbor and didn't have any money for the ferry. So he's walking along the river and slips and falls. It's spring and the river's high and he falls in and he bumps downstream, hitting rocks, being you know, sucked under alternately and going over rapids for three days. And he lands in a fisherman's net. And the fisherman pulls the net out and realizes he's netted a bhikshu. Right? <laughs> he's got, that's a heavy fish. So it's a monk. And uh, he, uh, he, the monk is more dead than alive. But this, these Chan monks were tough, living in the mountains by themselves, self-reliant. So he was not quite dead. And the fisherman called the, monk, the monks at Baoji Monastery, which is nearby. And uh, they came running down to see who it was. And they said, oh my god, it's Master De Qing. He's one of the famous monks. What's he doing in your fishnet? You know, bring him out. So they got him out and they dried him out. And uh, three days later, just you know, really weak, he said, I got to get to Gaomin-si. I'm, I'm carrying the reservations of four of my colleagues. I can't be late. He said, but just rest for a while. You know, it'll still be there. No, I gotta go. So off he goes. And he gets to Gaumin Monastery and he, you know, stumbles in. And oh, they're so thrilled to see him because um, the way it is in China, if uh, what would it be like? If you knew that Jack Cornfield was gonna be here for a week, right? People would come and sit. Joseph Goldstein's gonna come and sit. People would go, you know, oh, sign me up, you know. So when Master Shuyin shows up at Gaomin Su, they say, oh. Here is the illustrious Shuyin De Qing. Will you please be the proctor? You'll be the senior seated monk, and we'll advertise your name. And he said, I don't wanna. I wanna just meditate. He didn't say a word about what had just happened. He didn't say a word. Because he didn't want pity. He's, these are tough characters. So they said, well, you know the rules. If we invite you and appoint you as the proctor, and you refuse, we have to beat you. Why? Because Buddhist monasteries were much like the YMCA. It's just a place where everybody shows up and then leaves, right? And if somebody disobeys the rules, nobody will be the, nobody wants to be an administrator. They all want to sit, you know, 
So he said, I know. I know the rules. So they take the what's called the incense board. It's a wooden sword, and they beat him, and he's bleeding, you know, and uh, his aggravating his sickness. And he just silently endures it and doesn't want to doesn't want to be an administrator. He wants to just meditate. So he's more dead than alive, sitting on his meditation cushion. And don't you know that he's single-minded? He's not having any thoughts other than one breath at a time. All right, so there he is. And now the monks from Baoji Monastery show up with offerings for the monks who are meditating. And they go, oh, look, there is Shuyun Doqing. Why is he bleeding? Don't you know what happened to him? And they go, what? No, what? He nearly drowned on his way here. You know, and what did you do? Did you beat him, you idiots? You know? And they go, oh, we didn't, he didn't say anything. You know? It's the rules. So they, now everybody's going, wow, this, what a model of intense, you know, total dedication to the Dharma. So 20 days into the retreat, suddenly his illnesses go away. And he's radiant, he's glowing. And uh, so he reports uh, in his, this is hit from his biography, that his mind was now completely quiet, no thoughts. He's just sitting at a single pointed concentration. And he felt as if he were flying when he was walking, and night and day became one. And one night he went out to, to pee uh, outdoors, and he saw this. This uh, uh, everything was as if it were day because he was seeing this transformation of his consciousness. He saw boats in the distance uh, going up and down the Grand Canal there. And on the third evening of the eighth week of the session, it's a 12-week session, eight weeks have gone by, and at night for the last sit, the verger comes along and will fill your teacup. He's, he's got a big heavy, you know, coal-fired, wood-fired pot and Master Shuyin held out his cup, and the verger missed and poured the scalding water on his hand. The cup shattered against the floor, and instantly he woke up. And as he says, he observed how he was joyous beyond words. At the sound of the shattering cup, the roots of his doubts were severed instantly. He was joyous beyond words at having realized his lifelong ambition. It was as if he'd awakened from a dream. He observed how the conditions of the past unravel. If he hadn't fallen into the river and become gravely ill, if he hadn't met the, quote, good advisors who, who beat him, pushed him to the limits of his endurance, in, and if he hadn't met both adversity and kindness, how could he have had this experience? So he penned two verses explaining the state, and this is the, the song. He says, the cup hit the floor with a ringing sound that echoed in the air. Empty space, too, broke to bits. My mad mind stopped right there. And then the second verse goes, burned my hand, shattered my cup, broken for good, my mind. Like my family, it's lost. People are gone. Words are hard to find. All right, now let me just show you this one, what, what's magical about this. You couldn't get a more poignant statement of emptiness. This is somebody who's looked at despair in the face and found nothing there. There's no comfort in that emptiness, that once you see the, the complete conditioned nature of the universe, there's no room for sympathy. 
Right? It's not that you know, empty space likes me better because I'm a monk or I live in Berkeley or you know, uh, I'm a vegetarian. Like empty space doesn't care. You know, it's just it's com empty. All conditioned things come together and come apart. That's the nature of them. Then, in the midst of that utter emptiness, spring is here. The flowers breathe their fragrance to the sun. Mountains, rivers, the earth itself are just the thus come one. The thus come one is the name for the Buddha, the one who has come thus. So right in the middle of that emptiness, the <coughs> magical nature of existence manifests everywhere. It's all a gift. So there's both, they say, true emptiness and wonderful existence. Both wisdom that sees through the surface to the conditioned nature of all things and the compassion that finds the oneness of all creation and the magical gift that is your next breath is right there. So this poem has both sides and it's, it's a beautiful expression of that. So now the, um, this first verse, this first part of it, the cup hit the floor with a ringing sound echoed in the air, empty space, two broke the bits, my mad mind stopped right there. In Chinese is Beizi Pu Luo Di, Xiang Sheng Ming Li Li, Xu Kong Fan Se Ye, Kuang Xin Tang Xia Xi. So I use that as the chorus. And uh, people have told me that they like this, in this song, the blend of high lonesome, kind of the uh, Bill Monroe sound, <laughs> and the Chinese quality of this that people don't expect, but once you hear it, it's completely there. And it's just that we're not familiar with it, that it sounds kind of uh, novel, but it's been there all along. So here we go. With a ringing sound echoed in the air, empty space to broke to bits. My mad mind stopped right there. Face of Ulodi, Shang Shang Ming Li Li. Burn my hand, shattered my cup, broken for good my mind. Like my family, it's lost. People are gone. Words are hard to find. Fades of 
放心当小溪。Spring is here. Earth flowers breathe their fragrance to the sun. Mountains, rivers, the earth itself are just the dust come one. Fades the melody. Xiang Xiang Ming Li Li. 虚空放水，放心当下溪。So that's Gaominsu via West Virginia again, right? right? East Virginia, East Virginia. Right. Okay.、Uh, let's see here. Now. Um, by golly, I have another, but I don't think we're going to have time for that one. So we'll save that for later. The the one that、uh, I wanted to share, but I don't have time to because the story takes too long, is the、uh, story of the how the sixth patriarch、uh, arose. I don't know if anybody has read the、uh, Sutra of the Sixth Patriarch, but he.、Um, It's called robe and bowl. The I'll give you the, the sneak preview, tease you. All right. The、uh, fifth patriarch Huang Mei,、uh, his name was Hongren Dasher. He wanted to pass on the robe and bowl. He, he was getting old, and it was time to pass on the Dharma to the next generation. And he didn't know who was qualified. So he staged a poetry slam. <laughs> Absolutely, he did. That's just exactly what he did. And From the poem, he、uh, essayed who who had seen his mind, and it's a great story because the、uh, the favored incumbent was a guy named Shen Xiu, and Shen Xiu was the senior monk there, and、uh, everybody thought, why bother submit a poem? He's the one. He's the favorite. Well, it turns out that Shen Xiu had not seen his mind. He hadn't he hadn't awakened, so he turned in a poem that goes. The body is a Bodhi tree, the mind a mirror stand bright. At all times, wipe it clean. Where can dust alight? And so the fifth patriarch looked at it and said, "Pretty good. Everybody who cultivates according to that will certainly gain great benefit." And then he went to Shunshio and he said, "Nope, it's not up to the mark. You're still caught in duality." Okay, so. Out from the back of the, the the monastery in the pantry area comes this young man, kind of quiet. He came from the south, probably spoke with Chinese with a drawl like this. <laughs> Illiterate, couldn't write, couldn't read, and they considered him a barbarian because he, you know, he, ta jiang zhong guo hua jiu zhe yang jiang, you know, that's Texas Chinese. So. And the panhandle at that. So, anyway, so he says,、uh, "Tell me that verse. I'd like to know. Is it good?" And they said, "Well, we'll read it to you. Why can't you read it yourself?" No, I can't read. Oh, <laughs> what a what a hick, you know, country bumpkin. 
So they said, the body's a Bodhi tree, the mind a mirror stand bright, at all times wipe it clean, let no dust alight. He said, that's pretty good, isn't it? I said, yeah, well, what do you care? He said, well, I got a verse. You? You can't even read or write. What kind of a verse do you have? He said, well, in the, it's open to anybody, right? Why don't you write it for me? He said, well, okay, what's your verse? So they take a piece of coal on the, the white wall. And the young man, the barbarian from the south, says, the body is no Bodhi tree. The mind, no mirror stand bright. Fundamentally, there's not one thing. Where could dust alight? They all go, well, that's, that's interesting. So the fifth patriarch looks at it and goes, oh, no, no, he hasn't seen his mind. Scrapes it off the wall. Taps his staff three times, tonk, 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 which is Buddhist code for come to my room at the third watch tonight. You have to know the code, right? So the young man goes, gotcha. So in the third watch of the night, the, the young rice pounder goes to the patriarch's room and the great master Hongren says, basically, I was number five and you're number six. You're the one. Here's the robe and bowl. Now run. And sure enough, the next morning, when they woke up and realized that he was gone, they said, where's he gone? And the fifth patriarch says, he's the one. He got the robe and bowl. They pursued him, hoping to steal it by force. It was wild and woolly in the Tang Dynasty in the Buddhist world, so no joke. So he winds up crossing over everybody who's pursuing him, and uh, he becomes, and mind you, he was a layman for this whole episode, right? He wasn't, he didn't ordain till, didn't shave his head till later. All right, so that's the story. Uh, I'll save the song for, for later, another time. The last one that we're going to finish with, and uh, I actually, since he's here, I thought maybe we could Invite Ginger to say a word or two. He's kind of a. <coughs> How's it going, the year of the tiger? Not bad. How's it going? Is it all right for you guys? Year of the tiger? Did you notice? I hope you noticed. Um, I wanted to ask you I was waiting for my appointment with the census guy today. Did anything happen? Right, who it was? <laughs> yeah, I was upstairs practicing for the lecture tonight. Ah, uh, well, I didn't need him. <laughs> what happened? Uh, I saw this guy. I mean, he rang the bell, and you you weren't there. He came around the back, and I came down to greet him, and he saw me, and you know, I had to pounce on him because he was running away. Can't imagine why. <laughs> but w what did what happened? Well, I, I licked him and uh, and uh, asked for a form and uh, and and we got stuck, you know. I mean, it's Berkeley and and he was, I mean, ethnicity, you know. I mean, <laughs> I uh, so I thought I'd have some fun. You know, <laughs> you know it's kind of my nature. You know. <laughs> so uh, besides, I had him pinned to the ground; he couldn't do much. So uh, <laughs> so I, I said, uh, uh, Sumatran. <laughs> Because, I mean, if you're doing census, I mean, why leave the tigers out? You know, there's fewer and fewer of us all the time, so why not count us now? So I said, uh, uh, Bengali. <laughs> Bengal tiger, you know, little joke, you get, you know. And then I said, uh, East Indian and uh, Javanese and 
he was really upset at that point. So I said, call me uh, I, I. I, I? Yeah, indigenous immigrant. <laughs> he didn't get it. He didn't see the humor. So I just said, forget it, Detroit. Just call it Detroit. Detroit Tigers. <laughs> so that's Ginger. He's actually, uh, he's, he does meditate. So. Okay, dedication of merit. True story. Here it is. This is the picture of Our Lady of Grace Catholic Monastery in Beech Grove, Indiana. Um, on 9-18, right? This is seven days, eight days after 9-19, eight days after 9-11. This is the Blessed Virgin here, and these are participants in a conference called Benedict's Dharma, where the Catholics are comfortable enough with the Buddhists at this point that our dialogue is so mature that they invited the Buddhists to make commentary to the rule of St. Benedict which indicates a certain amount of trust. And we've been, the monastic side has been doing well. So everybody's hearts were very, very heavy at the time. You remember, a blend of rage, genuine terror, fear, grief, all of that. The planes had just started to fly again. And so we had been spending three days. Here is the uh, organizer, Sister Meg, Sister Mary Margaret Funk. And that's me, this was back when. And she had asked me the night before to uh, come up with a transference of merit, dedication of merit. And I was there with our former abbot of the City of 10,000 Buddhas. And so we took the dedication of merit that we do in the Theravada tradition. You're familiar with, um, how does it go? May the goodness that arises from my practice and from this act of sharing, you know. Etc. So we have the same in the Mahayana tradition. So we translated the text, and I needed a tune. I didn't have a melody. So I was thinking, walking around, and Lorena McKennett's Dark Night of the Soul popped into my mind. And it fit perfectly. It was just astonishing how just meter and strophe, it was just foot by foot, it, it fit just right. So the next morning, with that printed out, we walked around the Blessed Virgin, and there were uh, half of the attendees didn't come because they couldn't fly, but double that number came from the local community because you remember after 9-11, the churches were full for six months, right? So everybody was there, Catholic or not. They came for, for, uh, for trying to find refuge and solace. So we pulled out this newly mimeographed sheet, Dedication of Merit, and it was sung for the first time there. And I, this is me here explaining the song to everyone and uh, saying that uh, the idea is that when you have done something wholesome, such as gathering here on Thursday nights to look into your mind, to learn the techniques of vipassana and the precepts that under, underlie this form of meditation, when you learn how to uh, transform consciousness to wisdom and practice compassion, there is goodness in the doing of all of that. And even though it's invisible, um, some people would say that that is the actual 
um, has always been the power that uh, transforms. They say that virtue is the power that um, cuts without harming. Uh, virtuous people move us uh, silently with the quality of their nature. So that goodness, you can share. You can give it away. Use your mind like a broadcast tower and send out the goodness however you'd like. And uh, when you do it together, it has real strength. So that's what I explained that day. And uh, the song has now uh, gone around and around. Lorena McKennett has blessed it. So I can, I'm officially covering. Uh, it's an official cover of her melody. And uh, so um, please do now join me in putting your heart into a wish. In Judaism, it's tikkun olam, to repair the world. And uh, I think it's probably the only thing that ever will is the human heart dedicated to goodness. So please make that wish, and we'll transfer the merit. And James is here next week, or who's coming? Wes. Wes, okay. Tikkun olam. Tikkun olam, to repair the world. T-I-K-K-U-N-O-L-A-M, repairing the world. Leave it a better place than it was before you came here. as one and radiant with light. Share the fruits of peace with hearts of goodness, luminous and bright. If people hear and see how hands and hearts can find in giving unity, May their minds awake to great compassion, wisdom, and to joy. May kindness find reward. May all who sorrow leave their grief and pain. May this boundless light Break the darkness of their endless night. Because our hearts are one, this world of pain turns into paradise. May all become compassionate and wise. May all become compassionate and wise. Okay, may it be so. Um, tomorrow night here at the monastery, I will be standing in for uh, the regular lecture and explaining the Six Patriarch Sutra.
Uh, we're talking about the skandhas, the places, and the realms. The Buddhist description of what makes a human being. Uh, that's at 7.30. It's, an, it's like this. It's uh, 40 minutes of sitting followed by a lecture. And then Saturday night is my uh, weekly sutra lecture on the Flower Adornment Sutra, which is talking about the Bodhisattva path. So previews of coming attractions, and people are welcome to come in and listen. Thank you so much. Please go mindfully. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.